Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The FT. Hello and welcome to Emerging Markets, a brand new weekly show from the FT with me, Josh Noble, from the Beyond Bricks team. Each week, we'll be bringing you the latest news and opinion on the big business stories across the emerging world and discussing how the global investment community is responding to the world's shifting economic sands. And before we go on, for those of you not familiar with Beyond Bricks, it's the FT's new Emerging Markets blog on FT.com, which offers you the chance to comment on the stories that we're covering. This week, in our first show, we'll be looking at the ongoing melodrama in Hungary, where the IMF seems to have given up and gone home, and the ratings agencies are poised to give the country's economy the thumbs down. We hear from the FT's Latin America editor about the impact of Brazil's surprisingly small rate hike. I really think the correct focus for Brazil at the moment is internally. They're set to grow perhaps 6 or 7% this year. By most economists reckon they can grow sustainably without inflation accelerating at about 4%. After that, we ask if Indonesia is approaching bubble territory... And we'll end the show, as we will each week, with a look at the most read story on the Beyond Bricks blog. I'm joined in the studio by Stefan Wagstill, the FT's Emerging Markets Editor and Master and Commander of Beyond Bricks. Hello. And we'll be joined in a minute by Chris Bryant, who's in Budapest. Also, joining us on the phone a bit later will be Anthony Deutsch, the FT's correspondent in Jakarta. Let's start by looking at Hungary, which has been hitting the headlines this week. And once again, it's for all the wrong reasons. Chris Bryant, the FT's Eastern Europe correspondent, joins us on the phone now from Budapest. Chris, talk us through what's been happening there this week, starting with the IMF. The IMF arrived in in Budapest about three weeks ago now. Um, The talks were due to finish at the beginning of this week, but uh, before that happened on Saturday, they fell apart. The IMF and the EU decided to walk away um, after the kind of answers that the Hungarian government gave them uh, were just not satisfying at all. They issued statements that criticized various things, um, including a sort of lack of long-term structural reforms. They said, you know, lots of the measures were distortionary and was far too short-term. They singled out the bank tax, for example, which, which foreign-owned banks have, you know, poured scorn on saying that it's going to cause losses, reduce capital ad- adequacy ratios, and ultimately slow down growth. So all this is a very bad picture and raised lots of questions for investors about, you know, was Hungary going to stick to its deficit-cutting targets? What have we heard uh, from, from the ratings agencies about all this? Well, I mean, the week started badly. On Monday, uh, markets sold off. Uh, we had, you know, about a 3% drop uh, in the foreign. Hungary's credit spreads widened and uh, there was a lot of anxiety about that. Uh, things started to calm down a bit midweek. Uh, Investors thought, oh, things aren't as bad as we thought. The IMF will come back to town one day. This is a lot of fighting talk from Mr. Orban, but he's promised to keep the deficit at 3.8% this year. Maybe we should give him a chance. But on Friday, Moody's Investor Service came along and they said, look, we're going to put uh, Hungary's ratings on review for possible downgrade. 
And that's got the investors anxious once again. Stefan, you're an Eastern European expert here. What are the Hungarians playing at, do you think? A lot of this is to do with Viktor Orban, a powerful personality who dominates his party, the centre-right Fidesz. He wants to make his mark on Hungarian history. He sees himself as, as a hero of Hungarian history. In his interpretation, he played a big part in bringing down the communist regime in 1989, and a lot has flowed from that. He's not a compromiser. He wants to make his mark, and he wants to make his mark internationally as well as with his voters. And another element is Hungarians dislike of painful reforms. Hungary was much better shape in the 1980s at the end of communism than practically any other former communist country. So it did not have to go through the wrenching changes that Poland or Romania uh, suffered when output fell 20 or 30 percent and people really didn't know where um, their next meal might come from. Hungary had its shocks after that in the mid-90s and again two years ago But this is not the same. And so now that things have look a little bit better for the Hungarian economy, Hungarians think that's over, and Viktor Orban certainly thinks that's over, and perhaps they think they can get away with it again. Let's see. Chris, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, uh, trying to predict what Mr Orban will do is a bit of a mugs game at the moment. He seems to constantly confound the markets, and every statement he makes uh, often contradicts one made by a previous minister. So the short answer is nobody knows. However, markets may well force him to take action sooner rather than later. Hungary um, is you know, reliant on uh, foreign debt. Um, it is um, you know, a prisoner of the markets in many respects. And if the currency sells off, many Hungarians hold foreign currency loans, which become much more expensive to repay. The government's borrowing costs could rise. And soon, Mr. Orban might be forced to sort of go back to the IMF and say, maybe we need you after all. However, there are municipal elections coming up in October and the government seems to be completely unwilling to do anything that would compromise its election chances in the short term. So perhaps we might not expect the EU or IMF to come back to Hungary until September, perhaps October, and then the government might be finally willing to use its huge parliamentary majority to make some serious and impressive structural reforms. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Let's move on to Brazil, where markets had been expecting a 75 basis point rate hike last Thursday, with fears about an overheating economy prompting the central bank to act. Instead, what we saw was a 50 point increase. Earlier today, I spoke to John Paul Rathbone, the FT's Latin America editor, to find out why the market got it wrong. I began by asking him whether the message from the central bank was that growth is now a bigger concern than inflation. Inflation is less of a worry than it used to be, and some of the growth is coming off the boil, which is, in fact is probably a good thing, um, given that Brazil was growing at an unsustainable 10%-ish rate before. So this is coming down to a more sustainable path, uh, and in that sense is, is sort of welcome. So it's not, it's not worries about a double-dip recession feeding through from the US, you don't think? I don't think you get any of that sense from Brazil. There's, there's obviously uh, external demand is a question, especially in China, source of, of demand for much of the commodities that Brazil produces. And then there's also the United States and developed markets, because Brazil, after all, still does produces important products for developed markets as well. But Brazil remains predominantly a domestic demand story. Trade is only about 20% of GDP. So that limits the effect which the rest of the world impacts 
on on the di- directly on the performance of the Brazilian economy. It's a domestic story, but but you can't help but look at China's GDP figures from last week or the week before, where growth slowed to ten point three percent. I mean, only in China could you say it was slow growth over ten percent, but. Is there not a sense in Brazil of looking over at China and starting to think we better get ready for what happens there? No, I, I really think that the the correct focus for Brazil at the moment is internally. I mean, they're they're set to grow perhaps six or seven percent this year. By most economists, reckon they can grow sustainably without inflation accelerating at about four percent. And there's the, the the biggest danger, as has been often said in Brazil, is not a, not a real estate bubble, not a commodities bubble, not a consumption bubble, but a sort of bubble of complacency. Because if they if Brazil doesn't do anything, if it doesn't re- reform and and find ways to boost investment and savings, they could fall back to say two or three percent growth. Maybe they could manage four, which would be fine if you're in the United States or Western Europe. But if you're in an economy such as Brazil, which where income distribution is so unequal and so many people need to be lifted out of poverty. In fact, you want growth to to grow more. But the reforms that are needed are the kind of niggly little things like fixing plumbing, which everyone agrees is a good idea, but no one really realizes that, that there's no real urgency to do it because it's invisible. I spoke to a portfolio manager the other day who, who covers uh, emerging market small caps. His picks at the moment in the whole world are Brazilian domestic-focused stocks. He was he was buying dentists, healthcare stocks, retailers. Do you think that the domestic growth story is really there then? That makes imminent sense. Again, just going back to the fact that the trade is a rather small proportion of Brazilian GDP. A lot of people have been lifted out of poverty in Brazil. So demand for goods such as health and education is rising as the universe of potential consumers of those those goods rises. And then you've also got the, the appreciation of, of the real currency, which has been very striking, which again is another helps augment domestic demand. So in the sense that you want to tap in to what is essentially a domestic story, then buying domestic service orientated companies as a strategy seems to make eminent good sense. That was John Paul Rathbone, the FT's Latin America editor, speaking earlier today. Now, from one booming country to another. Indonesia has seen its stock market hit fresh highs on numerous occasions in the last two weeks. It finished last week at its highest ever closing level. And while leaders in Budapest sweat over ratings downgrades, in Jakarta they're toasting a bump up to investment grade, thanks to their Japanese credit ratings agency. We're joined now by Anthony Deutsch, the FT's Jakarta correspondent who's on the line, it's been an absolutely stellar run for Indonesian stocks. Where's all this bullishness coming from? Well, as as you mentioned, it, it has been quite a turnaround um, in, in Indonesia. And what we're seeing is a pretty, pretty much across the board inflow of capital, both domestic and foreign, into equities and into, into bonds. Now, the stock market... Um, Taking taking a shift from Indonesia's old story of of a resource driven boom, we're seeing a lot of money coming into into stocks such as banks and consumer goods, um, co- companies that sell cars and motorcycles, as well as telecommunications. So we're we're seeing a lot of money. And just to give you a bit of a feel for it, um, last month there was about a um, billion dollars uh, came into the Jakarta Stock Exchange. So it's it's a, it's a fairly significant amount of money, not not in the comparison of say India or China, but but it is uh, it is quite a quite a large amount. When you're walking the streets in Jakarta, does it does it feel like a country in full boom mode? 
I wouldn't describe it uh, as a as a full on boom. Um, Jakarta is uh, has a has a growing middle class, so you'll see a lot of the restaurants are uh, are are pretty busy. People are out. Um, a lot of money is going into buying uh, cars and motorcycles. A lot of a lot of cars. Um, I think sales were up about seventy five percent in the first half of this year. So the roads are getting pretty congested. But Indonesia, um, kind of in a, the broader picture, has such high poverty across the country that they really need to get economic growth to to rise beyond the about six percent that it's going at now. Economists say you need around seven percent to really start to start to make a dent in that in that poverty. You're talking about um, around more than 30 million unemployed and a poverty level of of over 100 million people. So you need very kind of high extended economic growth to to create a kind of boom across the country, and we're not seeing that yet. As much as as you do see in the cities, people buying phones and other kind of consumer goods. More needs to be done. So, in, in a country with widespread poverty but a, a booming economy, uh, are people starting to worry about inflation? Are, are prices going up? There was a slight uptick in inflation in the most recent figures released by Bank Indonesia, but uh, I wouldn't say yet that there's there's broad concern about it. We had a monthly inflation of around five percent, a bit over five percent. There was a bit of a spike in food uh, food commodities, kind of the basic staple like rice was up 10 percent, which which is uh, which is a high increase that caused some concern. The central bank um, were not expecting any movement there. The interest rates kind of been steady for for a long time now at around six and a half percent. Economists think that it's possible they may raise by 25 basis points but that'll probably be held off until next year. We are going into the Ramadan fasting month in Indonesia, the big Islamic holiday, when actually spending increases and people end up eating more than usual. So you see inflation around this time of the year, um, and it's possible that uh, the bank might need to act sooner if, if that happens in August. Anthony, thank you for joining us. Stefan, we both met with Jonathan Garner uh, recently. He's head of emerging markets at Morgan Stanley. Uh, they've gone underweight on Indonesia. What do you make of that? Well, they're simply looking at the very good run that Indonesia's had uh, since the beginning of the year. They're up about 12, 13%, uh, and that compares with other emerging markets on average flat or slightly down. And Jonathan and others are saying, well, it's been a good run, but uh, now there are other markets with better prospects. One measure, it's not the only one, but one important measure, the price-earnings ratio. And if you look at that, uh, you see a figure for uh, Indonesia for this year of more than 17 times uh, prospective earnings for 2010, whereas another popular market, South Korea, is only on eight or nine. So you put that into the calculation and suddenly uh, Jakarta looks expensive. Well, I guess the jury's still out there. Uh, finally, Stefan, let's look at the most read story of the week on the blog. Top of the list was a post on Apple's iPhone 4 exchanging hands in China for as much as $2,000. I have to say that the Apple iPhone 4 isn't actually out in China at the moment. You can't buy it in, a, in an Apple store. You have to buy it on the grey market. Stefan, there's been further news on this story. 
been reading this morning that the um, reports of problems with the Apple iPhone antenna coming out of the US have hit dramatically prices on this grey market in China. Uh, they've fallen from around $2,000 a unit to about eight or $900. So clearly those people who saw it as the glamour must-have item of the week have gone elsewhere. $800, uh, that's probably cheaper than they are in London. Uh, but these are all these are all coming from London, aren't they? Yes. So Chinese entrepreneurs are buying up stocks here and shipping them over as fast as they can back to China, where of course the things were made in the first place, which is ironic. Well, I bet they're not too happy now. They're probably taking a loss on them. Well, it's been a very interesting first week on the show. I hope you agree. But I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. If you've got any thoughts on what we've been discussing, if you think the Bank of Brazil's got it wrong, if you think Indonesia's bull run has some way to go, or if you can make any sense of what's going on in Hungary, then go to our website, ft.com forward slash beyondbricks, and leave your comments. All that's left now is to thank my guest this week, Stefan Wagstel in the studio, Chris Bryant from Budapest, Anthony Deutsch from Jakarta, and John Paul Rathbone. And to thank you for listening. Emerging Markets Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.